Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic joined as always by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson out in Los Angeles, and we have a lot to discuss today. There's some big awards announcements right around the corner that we're anticipating, but let's come back to one section of award season that we've discussed before but has now become a narrower field, and that's the documentary Oscar race, which, uh, you know, something like 147 films were submitted for this category, but the shortlist kind of changes the game. We now have 15 titles and some portion of them will be nominated for Best Documentary. Uh, A lot of stuff that we anticipated would be on there, some snubs, but pretty much I would say, Anne, your your guesses so far in our official predictions list seem to be on point. There's no huge upsets in that respect. No, I, I would say that the ones that didn't get in that I thought might get in were the ones that were probably less likely to get in, if you know what I mean. So it, it sort of seems to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, that, uh, but part of it was that I was just assuming out of habit that HBO would be a player in this universe, which, and I knew when I did this article about the three um, documentary power brokers, uh, Sheila Evans at HBO, um, Diane Wireman at Participant, and uh, Rising Star, um, Lisa Nishimura at, at Netflix, that, that Netflix had more strong candidates for the doc shortlist than HBO did. But I didn't realize that HBO wouldn't get in at all. So they basically the the entertaining profiles like Nora Ephron and Mike Nichols, Mike Nichols and Robert Maplethorpe and Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds they didn't get in at all. And the one that I thought would had the best chance, which was this Jim Foley Sundance documentary, didn't get in either. Instead, you have Showtime and PBS. Um, and uh, Netflix doing really, really well, um, and Independent Lens. And, you know, the whole question of who's behind all of these movies, well, obviously the doc world is, is about television support. You know, yeah, with but a, I mean, it's the also worth component. noting that, I mean, HBO knows how to play this game well. Sheila Nevins, for anybody who knows Sheila Nevins, thinks of her as kind of, you know, the queen of documentary. I mean, she, you know, she kind of invented this game on some level, and so... But what? But the films that you've listed, I mean, none, none of them, of them have high profile. Yeah, I no. mean, you could argue that Jim, because it's a it's a tearjerker about you know this this you know awful story with some global resonance. Maybe that, like like you say, is a front runner. I was actually more surprised about Bright Lights because it's a showbiz documentary about somebody. That's the one I thought would get yeah, in. Also, that was surprising. But but it, but it but but they sometimes don't favor at, at least at this stage. Um, there's a big distinction between the group that is nominating the final, this group of shortlists, the, the, creating the shortlist, winnowing down to this 15, and then going on to uh, pick the final five. 
they are uh, a tough and discerning and opinionated uh, group. They, they're, they're, they're really, they have strong opinions about what they think is good documentary filmmaking. It's also kind and of so, a clique. I mean, to be uh-huh. honest, they all know well, each other. Even though they've out. added a lot of people to it, but it's true. I agree with you. And, and so I knew that camera person right. and fire at sea and life animated, those are like three and OJ made in America. Those are like four, I think those four will definitely, you know, get in. And then there's a whole bunch of titles that are fighting for the fifth. Which will probably go to something from Netflix, right? I mean, last year, I remember there were kind of two questionable slots that people weren't sure about calling them. They both went to Netflix movies, Nina Simone and uh, Winter on Fire. Well, the question is whether Ava DuVernay's 13th gets in there. Um, and it, I've made the point that, that O.J. made in America, which, of course, is almost seven hours long, um, and 13th, which is two hours long, and very good and a must-see, but they're very similar in terms of, of what they're they're really re- doing a revisionist history of, of how um, race is being handled in, in America by, by the police, really, and, and by... Um, uh, and and so and then you have uh, another take on it from Raul Peck, um, which I think I'm is not the best. Negro, yeah, which I'm is another that could get the fifth slot. I mean, that over is thirteen. That is one of the best documentaries. Period. I agree. I, mean, I, I liked it's it more an than OJ. Amazing list. They did I, a good job. This I, is a it, great, it, great. List. It's very interesting too because anybody who watches all of these movies is going to have a hard time figuring out exactly what what you hone in on and the, the snubs. I mean, Bright Lights is, is, is that's, I like that movie, it's charming, but if you look at some of the other things that didn't get in, I think it makes sense. I mean, we all think of Werner Herzog as this god of nonfiction because of the career that he's had, but it's not like Into the Inferno is some groundbreaking piece of cinema for him. It's just it's, another... I think that he's being punished for being a little bit, you know, of his, a... Sh- of a, of a personality. Yeah, his brand is overexposed. A celebrity, you know. and But Alex Gibney has been punished for that in the past. So I was very glad to see that Zero Days, which has become only more timely with the rise of Donald Trump, the Russian hacking, the issues of cyber warfare. He was right on it and reported it ahead of the curve. And I think that um, it's great that he got in there. But there, he treats that story like a thriller. And so I wonder if the thriller... Ivory Game or the Thriller Command and Control uh, would be, you know, behind behind him or, you know, how the how are they they're, they're going to look at things that are similar and pick the best one? I think uh, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I I, I also think that I mean there, there's something to be said for the way in which uh, really rigid documentary filmmaking is sort of not in vogue anymore. A lot of I mean, you talked about 13th, but just a lot of talking head type of stories, whether it's something like Amanda Knox or Trapped. I mean, people are, are less excited about rewarding that. And, and it, it does seem like the final list of contenders, even OJ, which in some ways is traditionally made, but, you know, it does this thing with, with time that's more ambitious. It's sending a message, and I think in, in some ways that makes this category the most progressive one 
full stop. I also think Fire at Sea is is, is a great one to have under consideration because it's so experimental in terms of its form. So beautiful. So. I mean, Camera Person, Fire at Sea, Life Animated, OJ, those four are just so above the, the fray, I think. And I am not your Negro, too. And that, that's not to say that we don't love Wiener or, you know, uh, 13th. I mean, the ones that I'm... I was surprised to see make the list because, frankly, these are movies that didn't get the kind of marketing support or the kind of PR push or the kind of festival profiles. I mean, Tower uh, did did get um, some critical uh, appreciation. That that one, I think. Oh, Tower is know, also an interesting one because it's, it uses animation in such right. an innovative way, and I, like I mean, Life Animated does. Yeah, I would too, actually, I would argue, Tower is, is is more innovative than Life Animated because it's using rotoscope in in a way that I just I'd never seen it done like this before to recreate this Austin college campus shooting. And by create, making it into a thriller, but also using the testimonials in, in a really sh- sharp way. I mean, it's not the best piece of, you know. It didn't complete. work for me. Yeah, it's, it's as, not. It's as not a complete, documentary. But I do think you know, it, if you look at this list, it just it just tells you something. Just because else they about do movies. something different doesn't mean that it that it works. Right. Exactly. But there. But I. But I do wonder if maybe there is some value in at least talking about these movies in the context of award season for awarding it an approach or a certain degree of ambition that at least widens the a scope that can be narrowed by who's running the best campaign and all that kind of stuff. So if the Eagle Huntress or Gleason were to make it all the way to the top five, which I somehow doubt, but if they did, then they would do very well with the mainstream Academy because those are both crowd pleasers. Well, that, you know, you're talking about female you know, empowerment academy, and people who aren't thinking about, you know, what's the best documentary. It's the whole economy. Right. That's the whole academy. Who's that's, got that's a good everybody. protagonist. That's the producers and the yeah. publicists and, and all the, you know, so they'll, they'll go with, with the more mainstream. Those two, I think, are, are the most mainstream. And Wiener, too. Uh, uh, very I wish Wiener. I mean, it's 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 hard. This isn't my third favorite movie of the year, but by, by I know, you know, mathematically speaking, infamous ten best list. I, I love sixteen. Let's be clear. But I I love this movie. I mean, I really I'm like dreading going back to it, but also I need to go back to it. It's about the decline of civilization. I mean, it's this guy. It is everything that's wrong with but, everything that we've been witnessing. And, and, and sure enough, it will, it will, speaking of which, if we were to move on to, to the next thing, um, La La Land, which is, um, in, you know, about to open on Friday, um, in limited, uh, release before its wider break, um, which ever since Telluride in Venice and, and Toronto, we've known that La La Land was a very strong contender and that Damien Chazelle had come back from from Whiplash and, and, you know, come up with an even better movie, you know, an extraordinarily uh, inventive and personal and uh, incredibly entertaining uh, escape into um, old, you know, this, this sort of melange of old French movies and old Hollywood uh, musicals, Um, you know, Jacques Demy meets, um, New York, New York, or, or singing in the rain, you know, but, but he, you know, I, I did do a long piece about it. And in the course of, of sort of exploring all the different nooks and crannies of what makes this movie work so well, um, I, I, I became very, uh, enchanted with, cause I went and saw it a second time with, with, with what they've accomplished. And I can, I can see a scenario 
where La La Land, because it's escapist, becomes, you know, as it was with the New York film critics, becomes the, uh, you know, the go-to. Uh, I'm not saying that's the only choice. scenario. No, that's but it, it does make sense as a consensus choice. It always has made sense as a consensus choice. And the only reason why we've talked about other kinds of things is because I think we're just more excited about them. I mean, I personally, I'm more excited about the idea of Moonlight being a best picture front runner than La La Land, which I think does a fine job of acknowledging the beauty and innovations of Jacques Demy films. I don't think it uh, recaptures exactly what's so great about them. So I'm, I'm fine with the movie. I revisited it too. And I just, I, th I think there are some extraordinary sequences, but in other ways it's, it's a little uneven. I don't. I don't find the story that. I'm not going to argue with that. It is it's definitely uneven, and to the extent that he's, what I realized when I when I sat down and interviewed Giselle, uh, in, in in more depth with with Justin Hurwitz, his collaborator, his musical collaborator, what I realized is that he's he's the kind of intellectual who obsesses over, you know, in a in a kind of almost academic way, how. You know, he deconstructs the musicals. He figures out how they did everything. And he's trying to make it work for a contemporary audience by mixing it up and change. So what sort of threw me off the first time I saw it was the extent to which he was not playing by any recognizable rule book. And when I talked to him, I realized that that's because he's not, <laughs> because he's just messing with all these different no doubt. techniques and tropes. No doubt, and, and he's a super smart guy, and, and, and this has been evident since Guy and Madeline on the Park Bench, which was a very... I wish I'd seen that. It's, it's out there. It's not like it was unreleased. It was just a really small, scrappy musical. But It, it made $33,000 <laughs> at the box office. But it was a great... What, what I liked about that movie was that the kind of scrappier elements of its production liberated a very familiar genre, whereas La La Land is more of an attempt to sort of recreate that genre in modern times, and it does that to in in, in some solid ways. And it's 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 tough to be a naysayer in this context because outside of award season, I would say yeah, this is a pretty solid movie. I just find it unfortunate that it's like this thing becomes the consensus choice when there are more exciting things to talk about. I mean. We've well, talked about so many has, other things. No, I, I know Moonlight is great, and I and know Jackie. Manchester don't by forget about Jackie. Great. And Jackie, Jackie, I have to say, I've been right about Jackie. Well, I, I mean, when, when you say that, especially what you're saying is you've been saying it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't like it. It but, means that there, it is not a mainstream choice. Um, and and in a in a in a world where Isabelle Huppert is coming on very very strong, Natalie Portman, who I think is superb in Jackie. There are those who find it uh, hard to take and, and don't necessarily think she's great in it. And, and, and that, that it, it, again, in a terribly competitive race, you need, you need to, we have to see. We're going to find out. Okay, so what's going to happen next? We have on Sunday, no, tomorrow we have the AFI Top 10. Sunday, we have the Critics' Choice Awards. Monday, we have the Golden Globes nominations. Now, none of these things are predictive, but the Critics' Choice Awards tend to be more predictive for whatever reason than just about anything except for when you get to the guilds. Well, let's start Up with the, the AFI, Critics though, because AFI is, is, is pretty interesting because it's not a specific award. It's just a list. Ten. It's a list of 10. And it's a very idiosyncratic group that changes every year where they put together a mix of academics, critics, and um, 
and inside the industry people. Um, and I love being on that jury because I, you know, I, as I am on real juries, I end up being the sort of person who knows how to speak everybody's language, you know, they're all so different. They're all coming from such different points of view. It's an interesting um, group, but it doesn't represent the Academy. It just helps give some exposure. I mean, it's, it's part of the campaign, essentially, because there will be some movies that have very active campaigns on there and they can use that to kind of further their campaigns, get more exposure in a way. So it, it, it sounds it's to true. me... It's the same as anything else. Right. And there's a wonderful lunch that goes with it that I love every year where everybody shows up and all the studio heads come and all the nominees come at the Four Seasons. And I always get a big a big kick out of that. But but the, the, the Critics' Choice Awards will be interesting to see, you know, who, who actually wins and how they... That's where you have a big telecast where you might actually have Casey Affleck if he wins you know, needing to give a good speech better than the one he gave at, at the Gotham's, you know. <laughs> Somebody's got to so, tickle um, him. I mean, it's just, it's a, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Our, our ongoing report on whether or not Casey Affleck has actually warmed to the idea of an Oscar campaign continues. We'll see. When I sat down with him, he was charming. No, he is, he is, he is a charming, he's a funny guy. When I did a with him, he's in a good mood right now. He's winning. He's winning, you right. know. So uh, it's a, it's he and, and Michelle Williams and, and Kenneth Lonergan got yeah. the, all of them won something at the New York Film Critics. So they were in a great mood when I saw them. Now, the Globes are an interesting one because everybody knows the Golden Globes, whereas not everybody knows you know, the AFI Top Ten list. But it's not like they're taken super seriously. I mean, they're, they're maybe more respected That's than the NBRs They're or not something. respected as much as they're recognized as creating more momentum for, for, you know, if, if Casey Affleck continues to roll up wins, if Isabelle Huppert continues to roll up wins, you know, it, it's, it's, it's about that. It's about that kind of snowball effect. The Globes are suddenly, also, I mean, they're nationally televised. Somebody be, yeah, exactly. So, and so those, those speeches are, have an impact. Right. Too. And everybody's it's getting about, drunk and, and having a good time. So it's kind of an unpredictable environment that can have a direct impact on the narrative. I mean, I seem to recall that last year, there was that whole thing with Sylvester Stallone where he forgot to thank Ryan Coogler. That's right. And some people might say that, that you know, maybe he was never going to win the Oscar, but it couldn't have helped that that happened. You know, in, you know I, that, that, the, the whole Sylvester Stallone thing was a, was a good reminder to me that just because something plays well in the room doesn't mean... Like, he got a standing ovation at the Critics' Choice Awards or something. I mean, I just... I'm just remembering all these events where he was just so loved. Because he's so, sly. Everybody loves the guy. You know, I mean. Exactly. But in the end, the Academy didn't go there. They went with the class act. Well, there were two know? different conversations there. One is, it's his time. I and mean, this, is, this is a timeless thing. Is it, is it this actor's time, or is it this supporting actor who did the best supporting role? Like this year, Mahershala Ali... I mean, he's he looking very strong. Yeah, but he's it's not like a lot of people knew who he was before going. this. I mean, his, yeah, he's, he's sort of a familiar face, but now he's a, he's he, well, he had somebody made this point on Twitter, which is quite true, is that he's been in a billion things. The casting agents are putting him in things. Now right. he has he has a recognizable name. Now people know who he is. So the, that gives us basically a whole bunch of new information, also about the best picture race because. The Globes have a really expansive set of categories. I mean, the there was that whole ridiculous thing last year where The Martian wound up in the comedy category and then won. And, you know, I mean, nobody really knew what to make of that. I mean, it was like, 
it's not a it's kind of a charming movie, but they knew it was gonna win. That's why they, they did submitted it. it I mean, for that category. But it was a mistake. The they the the mistake that Fox made initially was putting it into um into that and and they shouldn't into that category the comedy category because that was a movie that needed to let's say we compare it to um gravity or arrival i mean in other words sci-fi and fantasy movies movies set in outer space they're coming from a disadvantage because they're they're genre they're know they're they're not necessarily high-end um and they somehow got there gravity got there even if The Revenant was an action movie, it got to the place where it was in Uritu and it was artful and it was groundbreaking and he was an artist pursuing his pure, purest uh, goals. You know, the, the, this, the Martian didn't get there. It was Ridley Scott talking about, you know, his commercials and, and somehow Matt, Matt Damon winning best comedy, comedy performance just didn't take it where it needed to go. And it didn't get where it needed. Ridley Scott didn't even get nominated, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I would love Arrival to see something. Arrival has to be, you yeah. know, taken seriously. Arrival, Arrival could, but I mean, the, that this is a category that, that sometimes re rewards smaller movies. If a boyhood won it, so it's, it's, there's reason to believe that Moonlight could have some momentum or Manchester. I mean, uh, Those are, I, I, I've been arguing with people about this. Some people think that Manchester isn't as strong as Moonlight and La La Land, and I still think there's three movies in the hunt at the stage. I think and it's better than La La Land, but a, but a touch weaker than Moonlight has that. Okay. <laughs> it's a sliding I mean, but, scale. But, but remember, you know, it, it, when it comes to the Oscars, um, I, I was so gung-ho on Boyhood. I was rooting for Boyhood. As I, uh, you know, as many people rooted for the social network the year, even though I saw the King's Speech winning, other people didn't, you know, and it is, and this, and last year I saw Boyhood winning and, and it didn't. And so Moonlight could still be a smaller indie film. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles through the categories. It doesn't have necessarily, I mean, you could argue with me, but. Is it going to get editing? Is it going to get sound? Is it going to get cinematography? Is it going to get all of those things when it's competing against, you know, some of the most beautifully made movies of the year? Most important question is, how is Jimmy Kimmel going to make a joke about it? Because <laughs> I just feel like that's a hot potato right there. So he just, I have no trouble with Jimmy Kimmel. He did fine at the Emmys. He'll do fine at the Oscars. And by the way, that was their only choice at this point. It's the latest yeah. that they've ever had a host. You, they must on. have talked to so many different people who didn't want to do it, right? I right. Mean, it just, exactly. It's you're, you're kind of damned ABC if you do or you don't. And also, wanted their man, you know. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's kind of an easy insertion. I mean, I'm sure he'll be fine. I mean, he's not going to step in it the way that Chris Rock did last year and. and throw in a, a racist joke that you know clearly won't play you know i mean he's not he's, he's not a risk taker in that sense but he comes across no, and as he knows how to play so. to that crowd and he knows how to do an award show i think he'll be fine i mean he may not he may not set the new standard for great oscar hosts but i think he'll he'll be i think he'll do just fine yeah also uh, in a weird way he's uh, as i interpret him and perhaps you um he's He's used to, he and Jimmy Fallon, of all the Late Show hosts, are the most mainstream in their politics, or at least they don't go as far to the left as some of the other ones do, uh, wouldn't you say? Well, they don't, they are less transparent about their politics. 
Um, and Fa- had Trump on his show, right? Yeah, Fallon, I mean, Fallon is just a, kind of a tool as far as I'm concerned. When, I mean, Kimmel, is, Kimmel can be argumentative. Uh, he can be con- confrontational. He has a brasher kind of thing going on that I think allows him to kind of... He, he reaches out to a broader audience because he's sort of a... He's kind of like a fun, goofy frat guy in a way. Um, well, I think I think Fallon's the bigger player. I mean, he's got the Tonight Show. Fallon's yeah, the one. Fa- the Fallon is more slapstick, though. Kimmel is more masculine, I think. So that so interesting, the, interesting that you're saying this. You you're don't agree with about, me? You're talking. Well, I, you, I see your point. I, I never. I I don't, you don't think, think of, I can read of, into the virility uh, of, of, of late TV night hosts? talk show hosts in terms of their relative masculinity. Well, it's That's something to talk about since most of them are dudes, you know. I mean, they certainly Samantha Bee's are. been killing it. I hope next year if somebody asks her about this possibility, because she'd be pretty funny too. But who knows where they the world's going to be at? They would be having her do it, Samantha Bee. She would. She she's so clearly on the other side of of radical left, right. angry. Yeah, know. now would not necessarily. That would be, be like the best putting time, Bill Maher on. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, would right. never put Bill Maher on. Hey, we're going to get a couple of Dave Chappelle specials next year. He's making a comeback. So how about putting him on the, the most watched uh, entertainment show of the, of the year? No, they're they're going. They're the two producers, Michael DeLuca and uh, Jennifer Todd, who I talked to. They they were like bending over backwards, and so was uh, Cheryl Bon Isaacs at the Governor's Awards, saying how how much they they wanted to bring uh, everyone together and use movies as a way of uniting everyone so they're 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 obviously trying not to uh, to try to, to they're skipping the shoals of politics if they can so one movie that that happens to be opening very limited release this week that probably is not going to show up in a bunch of the different things that we've discussed this week is uh, the founder which it's going to open just in L.A. for a qualifying run on Friday, and then Weinstein Company kind of last minute was like, you know what, we'll just open it uh, on Wednesday. So now it's out in L.A. Uh, yeah, I didn't make a big fuss about this. I mean, basically what happens with the Weinstein Co. is that they throw their movies against the wall, and what's happened um, is that that the one that, that they may have had some hopes for with Matthew McConaughey, uh, Gold, you know, that, that one's not picking up any traction at all. And, and the founder is actually playing better, but it still doesn't really have a prayer at this point. I mean, you critics would have had to make a fuss about it. And it's not Even worth Even though fussing. he gives a very good performance. He's really good. He's the best thing about the movie. I think Robert Siegel's screenplay has some interesting stuff going on about it, especially in the kind of first act where it sets up how the McDonald's brothers created this, or kind of happened upon the idea of, of running a fast food kitchen. I love Nick Offerman. Yeah, He's... both of those guys are really good. And then when Keaton sort of becomes more and more devious in his scheme to overtake the business, uh, it's it's much more predictable, and it doesn't. It just kind of and gets he becomes bland. very dislikable. Is yeah, is the I mean, I mean and the yeah, way he exactly. treats his wife is really awful. I like that, but I felt like it was played it, by Laura Dern. Totally you know, wasted. In a, in a thankless role. Yeah, I mean, it, there's just not enough going on there to make it. And Linda sense, Linda Candelini, who I love so much from yeah. Bloodline, is not good. You know, it doesn't have enough to do either. This is typical. You know, we're interested in all the men, not the not the women kind of movie. So the the one uh, you know I, I would say Keaton you know he he's uh, still out there he'll keep making some interesting things I don't feel too bad for him I do wish that we were talking a little bit more about John Goodman in Ten Cloverfield Lane even though look Mahershala Ali has supporting actor on Lockdown I wrote about this performance this week and I think it's worth acknowledging that 
in all these year-end lists and, and this discussion of what was good and what was not good, even though 10 Cloverfield Lane is, I think, just okay in some ways, John Goodman Another is Another genre film, though. You know, that's the, that's the tough thing. And what I liked about your piece, which is well worth reading, and I love John Goodman. I've loved him since Raising Arizona, which you mentioned. But but the thing the thing about him is that we're just we just take him for granted. You know, he's just always yep. good. I mean, people just sort of they're like, oh great, John Goodman's here. So when he was great he in Treme, you know, oh, yeah. and and he was great in Patriots Day, and and he just kind of showed. Yeah, exactly. Great. I mean, it's like I don't know if there's some disconnect here in terms of what he's willing to do versus other things, or if it's if there are other kinds kinds of variables here, but. He's somebody who does deserve to be acknowledged more because he works a lot. Obviously, not by by not taking on leading roles, he's able to do that. But he's often not positioned in a way that gets rewarded with this kind of stuff. And sometimes it, it's, it's just an accident of of the right movie at the right time with the right part. And if the Coen Brothers were to write the right part for him in the right movie, you know, in the right year that just hit the zeitgeist. It's it's just one of those things where Mahershala Ali happens to be the heart and soul, the bleeding thing that makes you cry, you know, in, in Moonlight when you see him. He's amazing. You know, he's no so doubt. great. And and so because he's he's on some level the best known actor in the movie everybody focused on him, but he happens to be the heart of the movie, too. He represents what the movie's about. It's about reaching out and helping someone when you don't have to and making a huge difference in their life. And it makes me cry to think about it. So I'm not the only one who feels that way. Um, so I mean, of all the front runners at this stage of the game, he's the one I'm definitely rooting to to hold on to that status. No question about that. So, uh, so next week we'll have a chance to revisit some of the things that we're anticipating here and kind of go over these results and see if indeed the race has changed. Um, I can also tell you about my trip to Costa Rica, which I'm about to do, and, and the things that I learn about Central American cinema while I'm down there. And um, you'll, you can tell me about a million different events you went to in LA because I'm sure there's a lot around the corner. So until then, Anne. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.